I mentioned to you last week that uh, I'd probably do that lesson in two parts, and then I kind of squeezed it in. But I've had several people during the week and today who asked me questions about the second part. So, so um, I, I told David back there to scrap all the scripture I gave him for t- today. So we're going to start a series on the... Uh, uh, on the deity of Christ, and but not today. Then I'm going to just I'm going to read from you from Daniel chapter nine and talk about what's going to happen in our world and uh, what's going to happen to us one day. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'm not a prophet. I'm just reading from the prophets. Okay, so uh, but when you when you think about prophecy, there are. So I'm just going to talk to you. I don't have any notes, so this may go crazy. But when you read about prophecy, and uh, there are uh, like three uh, ways to interpret Scripture and scriptural prophecy, and uh, having to do with the end time. And so we do know, and I mentioned last week in Revelation 19, in the first six verses, a thousand-year Millennial kingdom is mentioned, and it's, it's given a thousand years, and the thousand is mentioned six times. So we know that that's literally a thousand-year millennial kingdom. When you go back to Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham, is that his descendants would be blessed, and they would be like a multitude, and they would cover the earth, and they would bless the nations of the earth. And uh, that has not happened yet in history. Uh, now, they, they were developed as a nation, but never as a multitude that basically affected the whole world. Now, today, we think, well, they are affecting the whole world. Well, it's happening to some, to some measure, but as we well know in our world today, it's not a blessing. Uh, much of our world, and we, we hear this on the news all the time, and and when I, when I teach this this morning, I don't mean to be political. I'm not political at all. But there, there's a lot of anti-Semitic feeling in our world. It always has been. Um, and you go all the way back, you go post-World War II, before the Holocaust happened, and you go all the way back to the time when Rome destroyed uh, Jerusalem and the Jews then scattered throughout the world and they, they went through Europe and um, they have always had an influence and people have always resented them and, and here's my opinion okay I'm going to give here's my opinion that's demonic um, Satan, Satan knew that these were God's people and so that anti-Semitic uh, attitude is demonic and so it comes, Satan engenders that in uh, other nations and among people. And so we're seeing that today. And it, it amazes me. I mean, it's, it's, people are just ignorant of history. And uh, they can justify it any way they want to. They say, well, they're, those are the people who killed Jesus. Uh, well, they are. But, you know, uh, spiritually, I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. So... It's not just, I mean, they were, the Romans actually put him to death. They were the ones who gave him over and, uh, and demanded that he be put to death. But we're, we're guilty. And so, um, I, and, and when you boil it down biblically, it was God who killed, God the Father who killed Jesus. He gave him over uh, to die. And uh, he gave, and the scripture teaches that. And so, anti-Semitic thinking and and belief is not uh, it's not fact based it is emotion based and it is um, it is demonic and again that's my opinion and so but it's always happened and um, so when you're looking at end time um, there's this covenant made to Israel that there's going to be a kingdom made to Abraham Isaac and Jacob uh, by the God of Abraham, I can say there's going to be a kingdom, and it never has happened. I believe that God will keep His promise; that it will happen. So here's here's how you interpret uh, the kind of three major, and they're not major anymore. Only really one of them is kind of major, maybe two. But so so here I'm going to do like here's the scope of history. Okay, Daniel gives us in um, 
I, I mentioned to you last week when uh, Nebuchadnezzar sees this image and in this dream and Daniel interprets it for him in Daniel chapter 4 I believe it is 4 through 6 um, what, what Nebuchadnezzar sees is successive kingdoms he sees history that has not yet happened and, and so Daniel says you're the, you're the head of gold and then there was the chest of silver and bronze and that's the Medes and the Persians so as you go down this idol the, the value of the, uh, of, of the, I guess, the material that makes up the idol lessens, but, the, but it's strengthened. So gold is very pliable. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. Following him is the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, that's the chest and arms of bronze, and, I mean, of silver and what bronze, did I say? I'm, I'm doing this by memory then. And then you go to... Um, after that, the Grecian Empire, this is the, this is the belt or the belly area or the core. And then you have the Roman Empire that follows that, which is the, the two legs. And there's gonna, Rome's going to divide it into two major, uh, two major branches. Uh, Constantinople is going to be the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Rome is going to be the western part of the Roman Empire. It starts out as one and then gets divided and uh, is even divided today religiously. And so between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so then you come to the feet, and the feet is made of that iron that was the legs and clay mixed with the toes or feet are mixed with clay. So that's the revived Roman Empire that we're seeing coming into being even in our lifetime. And then there's going to be the rock cut without hands, and that's going to destroy this image is going to destroy those kingdoms and rule. And then when you come further in Daniel, Daniel sees the vision, and I don't know if I can remember, we're not going to take time to read this morning, uh, all the animals, but Daniel sees the same history and the same nations, but he sees them as wild beasts, and because man is wicked, and man uh, wants power, and that's characteristic, and when I say man, I'm talking about mankind, that's characteristic of mankind. And so he sees them as one beast that rules, another beast comes and defeats it, That the, this ram comes with two horns, defeats it, one horn is bigger than the other one, and that becomes uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, becomes the Persian Empire, and then a, he sees a, a goat that runs over, that's swift, and, uh, and runs over and just batters everything down. That's Alexander the Great, and the Alexandrian Empire uh, then takes over from the Medo-Persian, covering all this area. And then out of that, he, he sees uh, one of the four little horns come up on the goat. So when Alexander dies early, uh, Alexander the Great dies early, his, his kingdom is divided into four sections. And uh, so the section Daniel's concerned with is is like Egypt and the Middle Eastern area, Syria. Uh, So Egypt up to Syria, which would include what's today the land of Israel. And this is ruled over eventually by a man named uh, Antosius Epipides. And he was very vindictive, very cruel. He was a forerunner of the Antichrist. He, he desecrates the temple. Uh, he, he ends the uh, temple worship. He declares himself as a god. But this is not the desolation of the end time that Daniel's speaking about. But it's a forerunner. I mentioned to you last week that sometimes when you're thinking about prophecy and you're reading the prophets, the Old Testament prophet, there sometimes, not all the time, but there is an immediate thing they're prophesying about and then there's a far-reaching thing they're prophesying about. So Daniel describes what's going to happen during this and, and Tony Epiphanes rule and how cruel it is. And then he's, he's overthrown. And not in the Bible, but when you're reading history, the Maccabees rise up. There's a man named Jacob Maccabees. I think he has, I forgot, seven sons or four sons or something. And so he, he rebels and they actually defeat and drive them out. And so before Christ comes, 
there's a period of time that the Maccabees actually rule in, in Israel. And uh, so they reestablish the temple worship, and then the Romans come, and they, the Romans uh, conquer them. And so when Christ, co- when Christ comes, the Romans are ruling over Israel. Okay, and then we know what happened to the Roman Empire. They became like we're becoming. They become decadent morally, and then they became decadent politically, and they collapsed from internal. And we're on that same path, my opinion. We're on that same, same path. How many of you ever read The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire? I haven't read it either. I, but I've read, I read about it, and you have too, if you went through high school. Then we read about it, but we're, in the, we're on the same path. Okay, now let me get my thoughts back again. So, so when, when Daniel is praying and trying to understand, that's what, when you come to chapter 9, Daniel is praying and trying to understand the visions that he's seen, and he asks God for insight. Uh, in, insight, and so uh, I want you to read. I think I gave David uh, verse twenty-four, but I'm going to read you from verse twenty of Daniel chapter nine. Uh, if you want to look in your Bible, or uh, may come up in a moment. And he said, "Now, when I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel, I, that's just a great way to pray." Uh, you know, we shouldn't just, I don't know whether you're a, what, what side of the divide you're on, a Democrat or Republican, and I don't really care either. Uh, but what we should do, we should say uh, America is in terrible trouble, the U.S. is in terrible trouble, and we have sinned. I have sinned, you have sinned, uh, I'm not the citizen I should be, you're probably not the citizen you should be. And when we pray and confess, we should confess our sins and confess to the Lord. Lord, we as a nation of sin, would you please help us? Would you, would you give our leadership wisdom? We're, we're to pray what Peter says, we're to pray for those who are in authority over us. So we should pray that. We should say, Lord, we have sinned. and We have, we have sinned, have we not? And we should pray. So anyway, that's my preacher coming out that right there. Uh, so he confessing my sin, the sin of my people of Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, so this is the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Okay, let me interrupt myself and say, we should pray that as well, because when you read in Corinthians, the Corinthians teaches us, the Apostle Paul teaches us by the Holy Spirit that the only way we can understand Scripture is by the mediation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about some feeling or some esoteric experience. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the Lord has to give us wisdom. If we're going to understand Scripture, the Lord has to give us wisdom. Uh, He reveals truth to us through our study. He reveals truth to us by our saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to know what you're saying to me. I want to know, I, I want to know what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to live. I, I want to hear from you from your word about my life and about direction. And the Holy Spirit then responds from the word to us and impresses upon our, our mind and our spirit the things we should do. And by the way, that's your conscience. The Lord, if you have a, if you have a biblically informed conscience, you should pay attention to it. If the Lord convicts you, you should repent. If he convicts you about a direction you should go, and you say that doesn't violate scripture, that that's while he's leading me, then that's what you should do. And pay attention to your conscience. God, God gave us a conscience to convict us and lead us and to, to help us um, get stay on the right path. So, um, so he's giving you skill to understand. In verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, 
Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here's the vision, okay? And this is a timeline. So this is a timeline. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Okay, when we're reading English, a week is seven days. If you're reading Greek or when they're Hebrew, whatever that, when you're when you're reading this, their terminology is a week was seven years. Okay, uh, because they had a jubilee system of. You know, they would do, they would have six years of planting, and then the seventh year would be a year of uh, uh, fallow. Uh, so, it, and then every 49 weeks would be the 50th year, and and they would have a jubilee celebration. People would be set free. If you're in bondage, if you had sold yourself into slavery for money, you'd be set free. If you had sold your land, it would revert back to your family. And so... But every seven years, so their cycle goes on seven years, okay? And uh, when he says 70 weeks are determined for your people, now had I been making notes, I would have found the scripture that says this. When God sent the, when he sent Judah into captivity, he told Jeremiah that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Now, and the reason they're going to be in captivity for 70 years is because when they came into the land, they were to observe a Sabbath year and let the land lay fallow, okay? And for 490 years, they had not done so. They owed God 70 years. That makes sense to you? Okay, so they owed God 70 years, and God's going to hold them accountable for it. Now, when I first got saved... uh, I won't call his name because some of you know him, but we weren't in this church. I got saved in Second Baptist Church, and uh, one of the one of the guys there told me we were talking one time, and he said, "You know, if you don't tithe, God will take it from you, and He might take it from you by your water pump going out, or your battery going out, or your whatever." And I I don't believe that, but when I'm saying to you, God is saying to the nation of Israel, "You owe me seventy years, and you're going to go into captivity for seventy years." Because you were not obedient. They, they owed God 70 years, but they, they lived under the covenant. We don't live under a covenant. We, we live under grace, okay? So they lived under a covenant. God said to the nation of Israel, uh, now I'm getting way off, but there were conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. An unconditional covenant, he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. He didn't say to Abraham, you have to do anything. Abraham didn't even have any children. He had a 90-year-old wife. There was nothing he could do to make that happen. And so God gave him an unconditional covenant. He gave it, he repeated it to Isaac and to Jacob. And it was an unconditional covenant that this is going to happen. I'm going to make you a great nation. When they come into the land back up out of Egypt, God gave them conditional covenant. And the conditional covenant is you dwell in this land in obedience, and I will bless you. I will bless your flocks. I'll bless your crops. I'll bless your children. I'll bless your heritage. I'll bless your nation. But if you're disobedient, I will judge you. And what happened? They were disobedient. They were idolatrous. They, they began to set up high places in the hills, and they set up idols to the gods of the people who still dwelt among them. And so they worshiped God at the temple, and then they'd go to the hills and worship God, the, the sun god, so their crops would come up. They'd worship the rain god, they'd worship the god of fertility so they could have children. And so they're, they were doing both of these things, and so God told them, I'm going to drive you from the land. I'm going to send you into captivity. And one of the things when, it, when so, so Judah goes into captivity, and they're there for 70 years before they return under Ezra, okay? Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they, they return to the land. Seventy years have passed. Okay. Now here he's saying, I, I have, there's 70 weeks determined for your people and for your holy city. Now this is another 70 weeks, okay? And here's what he says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, 
Okay? And the, at the end of this 70 weeks, which is 490 years, at the end of this 490 years, there's going to be an end of transgression and an end of sin. Okay? To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. To seal up means to finish it. Okay? And to anoint the most holy. So to anoint the most holy, he's talking about anointing Christ. So at the end of this 490 years, Christ is going to rule and reign, and he's going to be anointed. And uh, so here's what happens. Know that, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there are going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That Do your math, that's 69 weeks. Okay, so the whole time period is 70 weeks, 490 years. Now he's saying 69 weeks. Okay, 69 weeks, 483 years. Okay, and in history, uh, the decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. It was given by uh, Xerxes. And uh, that goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. There's, it's dated. There's a day of the month dated. And there's a man named Sir John Alexander. He was a, an Englishman and uh, he, historian, and he did the chronology. And exactly 483 years after that decree went forth, and, on, and the years were 360 days. And you get that, that's a Jewish year, 360 days. Now, ours is not, but Jewish year is 360 days. Say, so where do you get that? You go into Revelation, and you have a time, times, a time, times, and a half a time. And then it goes on in the same, uh, in, in the, in the same context, and it says that that is 42 months. Okay? And then it says that it's how many days that is. And how many days that is, it's 42 months at 30 days. So a year for a Jew is 360 days. And so this is exactly the time when Christ comes to Jerusalem. Okay, so I'm going to read it with me now. Verse 25 again. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, talking about the city, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Okay. Sir John Alexander did the math, and today with, he did it without a computer, uh, back when he did it, but today he did it with a computer. And when, when exactly 69 weeks of years passed, Jesus came and was cut off, but not for himself. Jesus came, presented himself as Messiah to the nation of Israel, and they rejected him, and he died. His human life was cut off. And when we go through this study about Christ, we're going to look at his humanity as opposed to his deity. And he is fully human, fully deity. And we're going to see how that balanced in his ministry and in his human human life. So... All right, back to our text, Uh, verse 26. The Messiah should be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Okay, if we were to take the time and we went back in the context, this prince who is to come is the Roman ruler. Okay, he's coming from the Roman Empire. He's coming from the revived Roman Empire. And so he's, and the the Roman Empire is no more, so it has to be revived. So he's the prince from the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire, when we think about that, we may think about Italy or or Rome, where Rome is. But the empire covered all the Middle East and uh, all down into Egypt. And so this ruler may be from the Mediterranean somewhere. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a, an Italian. 
Uh, maybe out of the Mediterranean somewhere. There's going to be a ten-nation confederation. Uh, Daniel gives us that as well. And out of that ten-nation confederation at the end time, three of those are going to rise up, and one of them is going to take prominence. And the one who takes prominence is going to be this ruler, this prince. Okay? Now, I never did finish my first thought, so I just, I just realized that. All right, so we have this thousand-year period, okay? So we have this coming thousand-year period. Okay, if there are people who believe in a biblical interpretation that uh, you, you believe in all-millennial. All-millennial means no. All means no. Uh, no millennial. So they think what's going to happen is that Christ came and established his spiritual kingdom, and we're part of that kingdom, so we're living in the millennial. Well, you know, when you read the description where the lion lays down with the lamb and the child plays on the adder's den, I don't see that exactly fitting, do you? I don't see that people are not living in the, under the iron rule of Christ. Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. You know what that means? It means he's going to keep the law. Uh, the, the law is going to be kept. He's going to see to it, and we're going to help him. We're going to be helping him. I'm looking forward to that day. So one, one, now that, see, I probably won't get it now because I'm, vindic, I'm vindictive in my thinking. But here, here's, so, so there are people who believe in all millennial. That's kind of going away because they thought after, they thought after World War I, okay, we've solved the worst problems. Now we have the League of Nations. There's never going to be a war like that again. And, and there wasn't for 20-something years, and then World War II came along, and 30, 30 years, I guess. World War II came along, and then they said, we've solved that, never going to be a war. Again, now we have the United Nations. So the United Nations, you know, now we're going to solve all the problems, and we're never going to do that because we have this Security Council, and Russia's on it, and China's on it, and all the major, the U.S. is on it, and so we're just going to solve the problems in this Security Council, and, well, if I was a curser, I'd curse right then. So, you know, you understand, so... But, and now there's a group of people who actually believe in post-millennialism. Post-millennialism means that Christ is going to come after the millennial kingdom, that he will come post-time, after the millennial kingdom. Okay? Uh, so far, we hadn't had a millennial kingdom, so that's not quite working out. Nobody can think that's really much of an option. The third is what I believe, probably what you believe. It's premillennialism. Premillennialism means that we believe Christ is going to come prior to the millennial kingdom. Okay? So not only do I believe in premillennialism, that's hard to say, but I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. So I'm a pre-trib, premillennialist, and you probably are as well. Um, there are some people who say, well, I, I, read a, I read a Schofield edition of the New King James Version Bible. And the critics say that that was an invention of a man named Darby promoted by Schofield because Schofield notes talk about that. No, I think it was an invention of Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's my conviction. And so what, what's going to happen then for us is that after Messiah's cut off, when, when we read this, uh, the people of the prince is to come, they'll destroy the city of the sanctuary, the end of it shall be with a flood, till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then, verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now when we're reading this, we're not reading about the church. We're reading about Israel. We're reading about the Jewish people. So when you're interpreting scripture, you've got to determine what's talking about the church and what's talking about the Jewish people. I mentioned last week when we went through Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is not talking about the church. I've heard preachers use that passage and they say, now, you better get saved because one will be taken and one will be left and one will be up on the housetop, one will be taken, one will be left. It's not talking about the church. It's not talking about the rapture. The church is not introduced until you get into John 
And, uh, and then you don't, we don't have the details of it until you get into the Apostle Paul's writing. So Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel. And here the prophets, for the most part, are talking about the nation of Israel. Now, when they look forward to the kingdom, they're talking about Israel and the other nations, but not the church. Okay, Paul calls the church a mystery. Now, a mystery is not something that cannot be known, but it's something that has not been known until now. And so the, the, the church is a mystery of grace. So what happens is that when Messiah is cut off, God's clock stops, okay? And so we're living in the interim time. So God, you, you come to this point right here, and 49 weeks of years have passed. Messiah's cut off, not for himself, but for us, for the church, and for any, any Jew, Gentile, anyone who would be saved. And now there is another seven years coming. There's another week that's going to come. We're living in this interim, and this interim is the church age. Okay? So we're living in this interim. This, Daniel's not dealing with the interim. But now he's going to deal with the last seven years. And we call that the tribulation. Uh, because it is going to be a tribulation for everyone who lives on the earth. So he's dealing with that last seven years. Okay. What happened to Israel? The, the Messiah was cut off. The prince who's to come destroyed the city. His people destroyed the city. Uh, 135 AD, they destroyed the nation. And there hasn't been a Jewish nation until uh, Balfour Declaration, 1917, by the British mandate, allowed them to go back. 1947, the British mandated the land division between the Palestinians who lived there and the Jews who lived there. And the Palestinians got the West Bank and Gaza uh, Israel got uh, about the same amount of land, an almost equal division of land right down through the middle of what's called Israel today. And if you were here last week or you read the notes, it was only when the, immediately the Arab nations, uh, all the nations surrounding Arab from Egypt, Saudi Arabia, uh, not Saudi Arabia, but Iran and Lebanon and Syria, they all attacked Israel and Israel defeated them in the War of Independence. They conquered a little bit of the land in 1973. There's a six-day war, or 67 maybe, of the six-day war, and they conquered more land. But every time they conquered land, they conquered all the way down to the Suez Canal in 1973. But they gave it back to Egypt. They gave land back to Lebanon. They allowed the Palestinians to continue to dwell in the West Bank and to continue to dwell in Gaza, even though they conquered it. They conquered all the way up into Syria, and they gave that back. Uh, and, but they kept more land than they had had previously under the British mandate because they conquered it, and they needed it for their defenses. They kept the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights is a mountain range, up, and, and it would have been very easy for Syria to sit on that mountain range and lob those rockets into Israel, but, but today they can't because they control the Golan Heights. So they conquered this land mass, not mass, not much uh, land, and, and so that's where they are today. But these things have not yet happened. So what's going to happen is, let me deal with the church. Uh, when, before, this, before this time frame starts again, the church is going to be removed. We're going to be, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken out. Uh, it means that one day... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, twinkling in the eye, uh, Christ is going to come, hear the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. This body is going to be changed, and I'm going to be with the Lord, and you're going to be with the Lord. Now, if I die, my body is going to be resurrected out of the grave, and I will be changed, and, I, and that body will be with the Lord. If you're still here, Thessalonians said, we go up together. And we shall, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So after that, it's going to be an indeterminate amount of time. Here's what I think. Now, this is my opinion. When the rapture takes place, there's going to be literally chaos in, in America and in Europe. Uh, because just, just imagine um, 
when we see a, a hurricane down on the coast, and, you know, they have to get the National Guard out because people start looting those houses. Imagine when all of us are gone from Midland, what's going to happen to your houses? And what's going to happen to society? What's going to happen to, I mean, we have a, a few saved people in government, uh, I think. Uh, you know, so what's going to happen, and, I, and we do, you know, sometimes they make it known, and I'm glad. But we're just going to be chaos. We'll probably recall our troops from Europe because they're going to be needed here to keep order. And so Europe's going to experience somewhat of the same. There's going to be some chaotic things there. Imagine all the migrants come in. They're going to found a house to live in. They're going to be... I mean, I was reading an article the other day that there, there are people, somebody in Florida, somebody moved into their house while they were gone, and they were out driving their car, and they can't get them out. Can you imagine? That's when you want an AK, isn't it? So. <laughs> we live in crazy times, do we not? We live in crazy times. Imagine, so there's going to be chaos in our world. Okay, that's going to allow over this indeterminate amount of time, I don't know how much time, could be months, could be years, it's going to allow this prince who is to come to rise up and, and consolidate his power out of those ten nations and, uh, and then that's, here's what he's going to do in Daniel 7, uh, verse 27. Then he, that prince who is to come, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Talking about Israel. He's going to confirm a covenant with Israel for one week, the Jewish people. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who even who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined or decreed, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Okay. So what's decreed? What's going to happen? Uh, and the, and, the, and I, I think here, in, in my opinion, again, there's some different opinions about this, for years ago, we had, uh, oh my goodness, I forgot his name, Tim LaHaye. How many of you ever heard of Tim LaHaye, ever read anything about Tim LaHaye, you know, Left Behind series? We had Tim LaHaye in our church. When I first was on staff, one of the first things I did the first couple of years is I contacted his organization, and uh, he was doing conferences around the United States, and asked him if they would come here. And they said, well, if you will alert churches and you'll fill the building, they asked how big our building was, if you'll fill the building, we will come. So it was my privilege to take my son and go out, and I dealt with him and meet Tim LaHaye's plane and bring him and eat supper with him and my wife and I. And, 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 the, and the, I don't say get to know him, but, but spend time. But anyway, so he teaches us. He teaches us what he believes and uh, he believes all these things are going to happen rapid. And he believes that before the rapture will be the Russia-led coalition that comes against Israel that's described in Ezekiel 38, 39. He, he believes that will happen before the rapture. I don't believe that. I did for years because he taught it. But then I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. I believe it'll happen during the tribulation. I think we'll see it, but we're going to be with the Lord when we see it. And I think one of the reasons it's going to take place then, and it makes sense to me, is that because of this chaotic thing in our world, that our world's chaotic, and and nobody seems to be in charge, and Russia's going to see their opportunity. See, they're not going to be chaotic in Russia no more than normal. Because they're a dictatorship, and you don't have chaos in a dictatorship. They simply kill you. And uh, so they're going to they're see their opportunity, and they're going to come against Russia. And when they do, they're going to be destroyed by the Lord. The Lord's just going to destroy their armies, rain destruction on their cities back home. Now, not destroy the nations completely, but it's going to destroy their capacity. And then... This prince who is to come sees his opportunity and he's coalesced his power and he's going to believe he can take over the world 
and he's going then to declare himself God and the ruler, and uh, that's going, going to happen, and that is the middle of the week. So that's three and a half years in that he declares himself God, and he desecrates the temple, okay? Um, on the wing of abomination, verse 27, shall be made desolate until the consummation which is determined, which is poured out on the desolate. So, and then from there on, the last three and a half years is going to be the first three and a half years of the tribulation. I think as you read that in Revelation, that that is man's inhumanity to man. That's man's cruelty to man. I think the last three and a half years is God's judgment. It's God's wrath poured out upon the people. That's when the floods come. That's when the worldwide uh, plagues come. That, that's when God is doing it now. God allowed man to suffer their own brutality first, and now he is putting out his hand of judgment, and it is horrific. And uh, there will be, when you read through Revelation, you, you read, are there four parts of, of a whole, and it says first that one-fourth of them are going to be uh, martyred, died. Not martyred, but martyrs when you die for a cause. But one-fourth of the population of the world is going to die. Today, that would be close to 2 billion people. 2 billion people. Okay, they're going to die in these wars and the pestilence and all these things. And then you get into the second half of the tribulation, and one-third of the population of the world is going to die. So, you're taking away now half of the population of the world is going to die in, these, in the tribulation period. Isn't that astounding? Half the population of the world. We're talking about three and a half, four billion people are going to die during that time. And then uh, the end comes. And then Christ comes. And then uh, at the end of sin and the end of uh, rebellion, the end of uh, all things that are not uh, glorified by Christ. And so he's going to come set up his kingdom and rule and reign for this thousand year period. There will still be sin. Uh, there will still be sin nature. Not every, not, not every person on the world and on the earth is saved. That still people still have to get saved one by one, individual decision. You have to believe in Christ. But you're going to, but he's going to be there. We're going to, uh, not we, but we're, we're going to be with him, but People on the earth, they're going, to, they're going to know what happened, and they're going to know this is Christ. He's here. He's ruling. Uh, his emissaries are ruling with him. He puts down sin. So I think during that thousand-year period, what we read from Isaiah, what we read from some of the prophets, is that sin is mitigated. The lion lays down with the lamb. The adder, the child puts his hand the adder down. The earth brings forth uh, abundance. Okay, so so the curse of sin is mitigated, and so what happens is that what the, what does that mean? It means you don't have natural disasters, you don't have drought, you have rain when you need rain, you have your crops prosper. Uh, it talks about in Isaiah, I think, or Jeremiah that the, the the reaper catches the plowman. It means that here you have somebody and they're they're plowing to plant, and somebody coming right behind them reaping. It means you're going to get several crops a year. It means the world is going to prosper because it was designed to prosper under Christ. It, it was designed to prosper before sin entered in. And so that's the idea that you get. So this is going to be this great prosperity during that millennial kingdom. Now, who goes into it? When you come to the end of the tribulation, everyone who's alive at that point in time Okay, let me get my facts straight in my mind before I say something that I have to correct. But when you come to the end of the tribulation, um, now, now remember what's happened. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, the, the church has been raptured out. And so at, at one moment of time, at one moment of time, you have everyone who's saved gone. Okay? So everyone who's saved is gone worldwide. So everyone left is, is an unbeliever. Now, they may believe some things, and they may, 
you can read different things. You can read Timothy Hay, Left Behind. You, you can read, uh, there's other things that have been written. And there, there are some people, there's some people, I, I, heard, I heard as a young Christian that if you ever heard about Christ and the rapture takes place, that you could never, ever be saved. That your chance was gone. You're a goner. And uh, I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. Uh, the only people who are going to be eternally lost is those who deny Christ until they're dead. And uh, if they repent before they're, if they repent while they're alive and believe in Christ, they can be saved. That's what, that's what I read in the scripture. And, you know, I say, because it's not a, it's not a matter of um, the scale of our sin. We're sinners. And that's what condemns us. It's not the sin I've committed. I mean, I know I'm better than Jimmy, and uh, then there's Phil over there, you know, so you understand, so it's not the scale of our sin, it's the fact that we're sinners, we're condemned, except for Christ, and it's his righteousness, not ours, and so there's no scale, and so everyone who's left is an unbeliever at that point in time. Now, I think there's going to be people intelligent enough to look around and say, this is what the Bible prophesied. I think I'm going to believe in Christ. And I think people will begin to be saved. Um, and then you have, at the, at the end of that tribulation period, when half the world's population is gone, I think there are going to be some other believers during that tribulation period. They're going to come to faith in Christ. They're going to say, we know the Jews are. And, uh, and the Jews are going to have 144,000 that are sealed, and they're going to preach the gospel to the world, and the angels are going to preach the gospel to the world, which has never happened before. And so I think during that millennial time, uh, at, even when the tribulation ends, and only the, half the world's population, but during that millennial time when sin is mitigated, and people live, if you die at 100, you're dying at a young age. So there's going to be great propagation of children. And I think the, I think the population of the world is going to explode. And you think, well, we can't handle that now. We're ruining the air. We're ruining the sea. We're ruining the food supply. If sin is mitigated, it's no problem. If the, if the reaper is overtaking the sower, um, you know, you can drive from here to El Paso and you could put Five billion people between here and El Paso, and they all have a ranch. Not counting going into New Mexico. You know, so I mean, so the, the world's not a problem. There's a lot of uninhabited space in the world. It's production and living in it. And when the sin is mitigated and the world becomes more like the Garden of Eden that it was intended to be, there's not going to be a problem. So I think during that millennium, and I keep saying, I think. I think there are going to be billions upon billions upon billions of people who live in that thousand-year kingdom, and they, they, for the most part, they're not going to die. They're going to keep reproducing. And for the most part, they're going to know Christ. Do you think God would create this world and create humanity and put us in there for them for the, to end up on the last day to be more people in hell than there is in heaven? That doesn't make any sense to me. Now, God's not in a contest with Satan. It's not, a, it's not black and white or powered or, or evil and good. It's not, God's not in a contest with Satan at all. But I do believe that God will honor his own name. That's what Christ came, why Christ came. That's why we're created, to honor his own name. And so I do believe that during that millennial kingdom, that there will be so many people who will be saved. That See, Jesus said during this church age, during our time, that the, the, the gate to heaven is narrow, which was probably, the gate's narrow, and, and to go into hell, it's a broad path, and many find that, few find the gate to salvation. But during that millennial kingdom, I believe there'll just be multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes are saved. But you come to the end of it, and there's going to be a judgment. But during that time, Israel prospers, and they become a nation that blesses the world. When Israel was in the land as a nation, they didn't care about the Gentiles. They had a very low opinion of Gentiles. And uh, we were fodder for the fires of hell, is what they thought. And so God judged that. And so, But one day when they see him whom they pierced and believe in him, they're going to prosper. 
Sadly, I read to you out of Zechariah last week, Zechariah 12, I think it was, during the tribulation, half of the Jewish nation die. Uh, they, they died, probably not as believers, but the other half come through it, and one by one, they see Christ and believe in him, and they live. Okay, so when, we, when you go back, let me just see, we're, we're out of time, but so when you go back to verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most high or the most holy. So that's where, that's where we are in our world today. Now, What's happening in Israel today? I don't know. I don't have any more wisdom than you do. I think we, we might be on the verge of World War III. It, it worries me, but the, Israel's not going to be destroyed. Uh, they're, they're, they're still under judgment. They're still blinded. There's a veil before their eyes, what Paul says in Romans. There's a veil before their eyes. They can't see Christ. And, and they have suffered under the hand of God. And God uses other nations, and they've suffered under the hand of God by the hand of the Arab people around them, uh, and they will until they recognize Christ. But uh, will they be driven from the land again, and all this cycle starts over? It's very possible, but I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because as you read about the nations, and you see what's happening in our world today, and the nations have been developed. Russia has a coalition that they're developing uh, with Iran and uh, Syria and uh, the, the, the rogue nations. And you, you see what's happening. The East is developing, and they're going to be a player in the end time in the Great War, the Armageddon War. And so um, Europe is talking about coalescing together. And so... I don't think it's going. I don't think the cycle is going to start over again. I think we're in the last cycle. So you know what? I'm listening for the trumpet. That's what I'm listening for, and uh, hopefully it happens before I go in the grave. And it may, may or may not. It's not going to make any difference. Uh, but God's on His timetable. He's faithful. He'll keep His word, and one day He's going to wrap it up, and then we will dwell with Him forever. I hope that helps you to some degree. When you're watching the news, don't be discouraged, but pray. And uh, pray, confessing our sins. And Lord, you know, we're in, the, we're in a worldwide mess because we're a sinful people. We're a sinful people. And not only are we sinful, we're stupid. And, uh, you know, so Lord, would you help us, please? Please help us. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us and what you've done for us in Christ. And thank you, Lord, that uh, Christ came to be cut off. Lord, that we might be brought in, that we might be redeemed, and uh, Lord, have hope, and uh, we're so grateful. Lord, let that hope dwell within us. As we see world events, let us see that your hand is behind it, and uh, Lord, there's no nation that does anything you don't allow. Lord, there's no nation that prospers unless you allow that for your own purpose, and we're not wise enough to know your purposes. Let us think about the people who suffer and have a burden in our heart. And Lord, that you might comfort us and we'll be grateful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.